another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. First, gotta say happy belated birthday, Nitin. Welcome to Club 33. It's a nice place to be, despite what everyone else might say. So happy to have you on board. Thank you, my man. Is this is this my bird year or is this my Kuzma year? I'm trying to figure it out. Kuzma's more fitting given he's a he's a wizard. Um so let, let's And go a better with, player. And and a, and on track to be a better player for sure. Yeah. Let's go with Kuz. I mean he's twenty six and twelve of the last ten games. I don't know if Bird ever put a stretch together like Dude, that. King, Kings fans are like it's already been a rough season, but thinking about how we could have had Kuzma, I was the biggest Kuzma fan in terms of a trade piece. And mm-hmm. it was all there for us, man, and we, we messed it up. So You know what I have to say about that? I actually tweeted this earlier, but a lot of talk we've had, of course, the basketball world has had about the Russell Westbrook semi-disaster going on in L.A. and the fact that they could have just had Heald, who's a much better fit, and kept KCP and kept, you know, um, who was the other guy they sent out? And even maybe Caruso, right? And they could have signed him because they weren't paying that Westbrook deal. But yep. if you look at it across those three teams, the Kings, the Wizards, and the Lakers, the two best players so far this season have been Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell. So even if they had made that trade and not gotten rust, they were still sending out those two guys to get healed, right? That was the proposed trade. Yes, you kept KCP, but you gave up two dudes who are actually impacting the Wizards positively for a guy in healed who hasn't been like, you know, on fire this season. So I think it, if, any trade they made in that setting might not have worked. Maybe the move was just to stand pat and let it play out again. So they definitely overreacted, I think, to the way last season went. Um, but then again, people like you are talking about how the bubble was a fraud. So it's <laughs> like, how do you? How can you have trust in that roster being, you know, one you want to invest in for another year? So we'll um, never get a nickname better than A Disney, no matter what we do. <laughs> we, it, it's 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 great. Anthony or Davis- La Mickey. I can't decide if I like La Mickey better or A Disney. A Disney is funny. Le Mickey, it's anything with La is easy for LeBron, so I think A Disney's better. <laughs> it, it, the yeah. LeBron nicknames are just like love fraud, love bum, zero creativity. Um, but I appreciate the fact that people are just leaning into the fact that it's like the dumbest possible pun that you could come up with. It's that plus the NBC for Antonio Brown, where it's like you just look at the comments on a Twitter post or on Reddit, yeah. and it's just variations of love this or NBC this. Um, um, Antonio Brown's hanging with uh, Kanye recently. I don't know if you... Con- Did you see there was a video clip? It's like Kanye, Madonna, Antonio Brown... And um, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. The comment, the the quote to tweet that got me, there was like a response that was like, there's no way this was fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was my exact thought. I was like, <laughs> I respect those people and their various crafts, but get me the fuck out of that room. I would not want to hang out in that situation. It didn't even look fun. It was. You think they're talking about seven percent inflation and what we do to combat it? Oh, absolutely. They're they're having some heavy-hitting conversations. Potential Fed policies coming up this quarter. I'm sure Antonio Brown has a lot to say about that topic. Did you also see? He said that he probably he he regrets or he probably made a mistake doing all that. So after Brady got Gronk all of his incentives in Week 18. And, you know, you were at that game. We'll talk NFL at the end of the pod. I honestly am starting to wonder if Antonio Brown forgot there was one more game. 
and thought that that was I honestly I like and thought that the Jets game was the last game of the season and therefore he had to get all of his like numbers that game alone. I'm like so, kind of semi convinced that he didn't realize there was one more after that. A lot of people have joked about that and not even joke, but like kind of semi seriously said, what if he didn't realize? Because that is not out of the realm of possibility, but I don't know, man. I wouldn't put anything past him. So maybe maybe he didn't realize. Can you imagine like on the Uber ride back? He's like looking at the schedules like, what the hell? We got one more left. And he's just sitting there after peace signing out to the stadium being like, fuck, maybe I should not have done that. <laughs> yeah. But then he has to like commit to the cause, right? You can't relent that quickly. You have oh, to no, like, then you're, you're all in. Then you're all in. Um, but all right, we'll talk NFL. We'll do a little bit of uh Wild card weekend preview. Wild card weekend is my favorite weekend of the NFL season, more than anything that comes even after it in terms of like divisional round, conference championship. I just love the kind of chaotic, frenetic energy of that first playoff round. And, you know, since last year, we got six games, which is going to be awesome. So we'll do a quick preview. We'll do some picks. We're going to actually track this. So there's 11, no, there's 13 total games. Um, I think you got to go 13 and 0. Uh, for supremacy so we'll track it with the spread keep that going each week and see how we come out but before we do that we are at the 41 game mark of the nba season uh topsy-turvy ride to say the least i think between covid some injuries load management guys who are already coming into the season hurt like a Kawhi, jamal murray etc it's been a weird year um we got lebron in year 19 putting up just astronomical numbers while they get smoked every night by any good team. You know, we got Durant putting up astronomical numbers while the Nets have lost like, you know, six of eight. So a lot of teams are kind of all over the map. Even the Bucks and the Warriors, who were thought of as like the most stable contenders, have, you know, kind of encountered some choppy waters. So I think awards are going to be interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to see where you go on a few of these. So what we'll do is we'll start with the overall ballot and then get into the all NBA teams at the halfway mark. And before we do that, let me ask you, how are you thinking about this? Are you projecting what you expect to kind of take place given like recent trends, or are you really looking at it as like if 41 games was the true end of the season, here's what I got. No, I'm projecting a little bit into the end of the season because at four, at the 41 game mark, there are guys on my all NBA teams, for example, who haven't played that many games, but I'm I'm yeah. putting them on there under the assumption that they are gonna, you know, finish at least seventy percent uh, of the games this season. So I'm taking the longer term view. That's almost a bold assumption, right? Because like even a guy who, for example, not to not to spoil anything that you might have on your list, but like a guy like Jimmy Butler, who when he's played, he's been flat out insanely good. Uh, all of the advanced numbers put him basically right at the top of any type of leaderboard. He's actually not a dude who I don't even know if he's played 50% of the heats games at this point, or maybe he's just above that. So he's played him and yeah. So, you know, played like 40, I think. Exactly. So just over 50%. And I don't know how you weigh that, but maybe in this kind of season, you throw those kinds of things out. Yeah, I mean, I've always, whenever I do All-NBA teams, I value pedigree a lot more, I think, than everyone else. Like, I'm not putting Jared Allen on my All-NBA team, even though you can argue he's well-deserving, because I take the view of 10 years later, we're going to look back at this, and am I going to look at it and be like, oh, Jared Allen in 2022, that made a lot of sense? No. It's it's going to be like how, you know, when we look at the All-Star rosters and the guys like Jamal McGlore and some of these guys stick out, they had one good season. 
So I, I do take pedigree uh, into account. And so a guy like Jimmy Butler, you know, no spoilers, but like in the way I think about things, he would get the benefit of the doubt despite not playing as many games because he's been so good in the games he has played. You're the reason guys like Kobe, rest in peace to the Mamba, have so many more all-defense selections than they probably deserve because you've allowed the pedigree to cloud your judgment of what's actually happening this year. That's all I got to say about that. Nah, Kobe was always overrated as a defender. There's a difference. Yeah, well, then he's a 10-time all-defense. So where do you think that came from? Just, just people want him to be like MJ. So MJ got all the defensive accolades. They want Kobe to get the same. All right. So which which one do you want to do first? You want to do All NBA first? Or you want to do the awards ballot? I don't know. You pick. I'm Let's ready. go awards ballot because I still need some time to marinate on this All NBA. All right. Of course, making last minute <laughs> switches and decisions. Classic. Classic. Well, I had Montrez Harrell in, but he's been struggling the last couple games, so I'm trying to switch him out for <laughs> potentially Daniel Gafford. <laughs> All right, so let's let's end with MVP, right? Build up right. to the to the main attraction. Let's start here. Let's start Rookie of the Year. Um, who do you got for this? This has been a pretty deep class so far. I'm going to go with Evan Mobley. Um, now, what seemed like kind of a runaway race between Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes early in the season has turned into Cade Cunningham coming out strong recently. Um, you know, you have a lot of guys playing well, like Wagner. Um, uh, who's the other guy? What's his name? Chris Duarte has still been solid. He's been he's fallen yeah, off Duarte a little bit. Is, but. Yeah, and the Pacers are the. I mean, none of these guys were actually looking at their team record, but I think Evan Mobley. Given the way he's played, we've talked a lot about him on this pod. The defensive presence, the fact that he's anchoring that defense for Cleveland. Uh, and they're still, you know, they haven't been as hot as they were at the beginning of the season. But they're what? They're still six seed uh, pretty comfortably. So I, I'd give it to him. I think he should win it. I think as of now, you have to. Because if there's only one dude who's honestly in the conversation for an all-star berth, now he won't make it, but at least you could have a credible conversation without looking like a total jackass. It would be Evan Mobley, right? Um, like you said, the Cavs are good. Usually this does not factor in terribly to, to rookie of the year like it shouldn't, right? Most of these guys are drafted to really bad teams. I think Cade, if we want to talk about... So so let's put it this way. We both have Evan Mobley for all the reasons. We've already discussed him on this pod actually a few times. So yep. he's he's been a great two-way player. He's got a great feel for the game, especially defensively, which we both know is one of the hardest things for big men to do. Look no further than James Wiseman. Um, the fact that he's able to kind of come in, play next to a twin tower like Jared Allen and still be productive, I think is the most important, most impressive part in this era of like floor spacing is king. And he's, you know, he's not a three point shooter yet. He's averaging under 30% from three on one and a half attempts. So that's going to come. The fact that this has still been an effective pairing, I think is testament to how good they both are defensively, but we should talk about Cade Cunningham because Cade is a guy who started off really, really poorly. Um, Like egregious shooting numbers. It felt a little bit like the, the, you know, the building was on fire, so to speak, because he was already hurt. He missed the first few games. People started getting into their own heads, people, a.k.a. me. And yeah. everyone was starting to talk about, everyone being me and noobs, starting to talk about, like, <laughs> what Cade Cunningham's real ceiling if he's not going to be, like, an athletic specimen on the floor and the shot wasn't falling. His shot is still a little hit or miss, streaky. 
but the numbers are starting to come. Uh, he's up to 16, 6, and 5. So it's kind of that all-around game that we've come to expect from what he showed us in college. The Pistons are flat-out terrible, but I think he's putting a lot of good film on on tape and is actually doing what he did at Oklahoma State, which is methodically, slowly, effectively getting to his spots in the court. And just the one-man show he used to put on Oklahoma State, he's been doing that. I mean, uh, I think his coming out game – not coming out game. He's had a couple of good games this season, but recently against Utah, they mm-hmm. won. Uh, the that Pistons team was terrible. He dropped twenty nine and eight, uh, five three pointers. Right, so his three point shooting has has come along nicely. You know, between December and January, shooting I think around like thirty eight percent. And so, I mean, to me, like, what was his comp? We've always talked about him as kind of more of a a Luca type, and he's not Luca, but playing no. kind of uh with the limited athleticism but having a control of the pace of the game can get yeah. to his spots can make shots can make plays and i think he's showing all that um so he's gonna be good man i think this team will be fine and he's the kind of guy you can build around so yeah uh detroit given kind of the barren state of the roster and the fact that they've actually won a couple games recently against some good teams um yeah he's definitely in the conversation I'd put him at to be clear. Two. To be clear, his his numbers are still pretty anemic. Um, like he's even in January, he's shooting forty percent from the field, thirty six percent from three, negative win shares, ninety four offensive rating. So it's still kind of ugly. Um, now, would I put him at two today? Probably not. Like I think Franz Wagner has been way better than advertised. Like, did you expect yep. Franz Wagner to be this damn good? No, I didn't like, want the Kings to draft him. I was like scared of drafting him. Dude, he's he's like putting up legit like 25 a night at times, right? Like and he plays with this like just ferocity and kind of like arrogance that is amazing. It it's he's so much more aggressive. My biggest fear is that he wasn't that aggressive of a player in Michigan at times at all. And like you go back yeah, to that I mean, UCLA I game, he was invisible. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was invisible, and he seemed like a more of a secondary player. And But I think this, you know, some of these guys benefit from the NBA spacing, and he's a guy who's thrived with that. Um, and, yeah, I, I was totally wrong on him. He's been a, well, outstanding. Well, the irony is, if you look, if you're an Orlando Magic fan, you got to be pulling your hair out a little bit because they were desperate to not draft Scotty Barnes, right? In the sense yep. of how many more freaking raw athletic wings can one team have that are just never going to develop? We've done this for 10 years. Jalen Suggs falls into their laps, which is like totally unexpected. Everyone is thrilled. And he's been a just tire fire. Meanwhile, Cole Anthony has actually stabilized their guard position quite a bit. They're getting Markel Fultz back at some point in theory. They're getting Jonathan Isaac back. How good would Scotty Barnes look in that lineup if Toronto went the way that everyone expected them to? Um, so that just shows you, like, not to say that Suggs' career is over and done with and he should immediately go to CKSA Moscow, but I'm saying, like, at the same time, it's so hard to, like, find a lane when you're in the draft and it's not, like, the clear top guys. If they came out with Wagner and Barnes, I bet you there'd be a lot of unhappy Magic fans and that could have been the best outcome. Yeah, it, it really could have. If you think if you're building around those two guys, it's you know, you're set. But like it hindsight's twenty twenty. 
there were a lot of concerns about Wagner going into the draft, right? I mean, there's a reason he went eighth. So I don't think it's one of those things where it's like other teams are, are thinking, oh my God, how do we pass on this guy? I think a lot of teams yeah. who selected both before them picked the right guys. So, yep. But and it's, it's also story. not like we look, this is all momentary in the, you know, reactionary type things. Doesn't mean that this is the end of, like I said, the end of Suggs or the fact that Wagner is going to be better than Kumlinga. Maybe that was a dumb pick. You know what I mean? So that that's all. That's all I'll say. Yep. All right. Next up, who do you have for most improved player? Most improved. Um, you know, there are actually a lot of good candidates here. I'm going to go with the more obvious one uh, and just say John ja Morant. And if you actually look at the numbers. He hasn't made a huge leap in anything, um, like huge, right? Like sometimes when you see him most improved player of the year, it's like substantial leaps and anything besides his three-point shooting. But I think if you watch him, it feels different. I think last year there was a legitimate argument. I think most people would say De'Aaron Fox is a better player than than uh, John Morant, right? Mm-hmm. And where did we put John Morant? I don't know. Like we got to revisit your player rankings from last year. I don't know where you had him. But couldn't have been higher than 30? I don't even know. I think he was in the bottom half of that 30. So probably 37, 38. And then you think about him, and I don't know. We're going to get to All-NBA. I don't know if you have him on your team or not. But if he's even sniffing your team, right, that to me is a substantial leap. And it's a lot harder to go from a guy who's just a solid 20-point-per-game kind of guard to what is looking like a superstar than it is to go from, I don't know, 10 points to 18 points or what we typically see with most improved. So I'm giving it to Ja and the fact that, you know, his brand of basketball is leading to winning in Memphis and, and they're playing so well with him. So he's not only sniffing, he's eating. He's been given a menu. He's um he's actually selecting the wine at the table. So he's doing a lot of he's involved, let's just call it, at, at what what's going on with my all NBA team. So Ja's a very good selection. I think a lot of people had targeted his teammate Desmond Bain as a potential option. We talked about this last week with the you know second year jump that he's making. I'm going a different direction. I'm going to Jante Murray. Um, I think he was written off a little bit after he tore his ACL. You know, signed a pretty modest uh, extension with the Spurs, four years, sixty-four million. And there were some people who raised their eyebrows about like whether this guy could actually produce at that level. When you think about what he's done to hold together a pretty young and limited Spurs team, it's been impressive. Like. They're not going to make a run. They're not going to make any noise even in the play-in tournament, I don't think. But he's approaching kind of triple-double nightly watch in a way that, you know, almost reminds me. It's not Westbrook, right, because he doesn't have the athleticism of Westbrook. It's not Luka because he doesn't have that physicality and that size. But it almost reminds me of, like, if Michael Carter-Williams, like, knew how to play basketball. And that's kind of what I feel when I watch DeJounte Murray, like, He's a much more fluid athlete than I think people realize, even though he doesn't jump out of the gym. His shot has gotten better, right? He's, you know, this year he's struggling, but I feel like he just has a better feel for the game than he has. Like he was in his 20s earlier in the career from three points. So he's up to 34% on more attempts than he's really ever taken in his career. Um, So I think that part of this game is evolving and he's making it click with, again, a very, very young and raw team around him. I love what... DeJounte saying this is another guy that we talked about with Ben Simmons who they would jump up and down if they just had to make that trade straight up now the Spurs probably say no and so that's why I think he's really elevated himself to to the all-star conversation which is nowhere near I think where he was at the start of this season 
And the funny thing about DeJounte Murray is that he already took a little bit of a mini leap last year, um, right? Where people started to recognize, okay, this guy is solid. And then he took another leap this year to, to another level. Like you said, the shooting has gotten better and he's he's up to what, 19 a game? 18 a game? He's up to 19, 9, and 8. 19, 9, and 8. So he's, he's become two, that. Plus leading the league at two steals a game. He's uh he's a little bit okay. This is a probably not a good comparison at all because just like you said, he doesn't jump out the gym. And Penny Hardaway did, but that big lanky guard who kind of do a little bit of everything, yeah, reminds me of that. Although he doesn't play a lot like Penny necessarily. Um, so that's a, that's a good good choice. I I think it seems like the betting favorite is Ja because like you said, that final leap is the hardest to make. Um, last year's winner, Julius Randle, went from very solid to All-NBA. Ja has taken, it's almost like he's made the same level of leap, but it's all elevated from what even Julius Randle showed last year. Because Ja is going to be, you know, potentially an all-star starter. He's going to make All-NBA as of now, and Memphis is rolling. I think they're 20-4 and four in their last 24 yeah, games and basically in number one in the league in like every advanced metric. Yep, yep. All right, six man of the year. Give me Tyler Hero. Uh, I mean, I think this is a pretty obvious candidate. Um, and purely for the fact that, you know, it's kind of weird to say most improved because in some ways his last season was a slump. Not necessarily what, you know, and um, he really struggled. Uh, I need to pull up the stats. Um, and this year he has kind of really become the engine for that Heat team especially given kind of some of the, the different lineups they've had to run. You know, Jimmy Butler being in and out of the lineup, Kyle Lowry not always playing the games. He's become kind of one of their most dependable scorers. You know, he's yep. shooting, you know, he's 20 points a game. His uh, three-point percentage is up back up to 38% last year to dip to 36. Um, and just becoming kind of that volume scorer that we assumed he would be based on his rookie season. Like doing right. this at volume, right? And so, um, and you know, he's a, Pretty, you think of him as a one, not one dimensional. You think of him as a shooter, but he's averaging twenty four and five, which yeah. is not bad at all, right? He's kind of rounding out the box score. So, I think this one is a pretty easy one for me. I think he's taken that leap and kind of what we saw in the bubble. This is what we expected. So, it's got to be hero. And I'll tell you what, like that twenty four and five is actually really important because some guys that come off the bench, like a Lou Williams type or Jamal Crawford type who get these this award, right? It's basically like sort descending on highest score. And he is the top scorer off the bench, but he's doing so much more. And Clay Thompson, for example, never averaged five assists a game or five rebounds a game, right? So like not even it's close not to five assists. No. Right. So it it's not just and I'm not comparing the two players, but my point is more that like Hero is much more than a gunner. He's he's taken on an elevated role, like you said. He's had to supplement a lot of minutes that Jimmy and Kyle haven't been there. Even Bam, who doesn't play the same position, but he's been out for a while and would have otherwise provided offense. Like, I don't know if you've checked out who Miami is playing on a night to night basis, but they're really <laughs> random dudes, and it, it, it blows my mind how good they are at finding these dudes. Right? Like, Omar Yurvitsevin will grab like 17 rebounds a game, and Gabe Vincent is out here with like dishing eight to 10 assists. Yeah. And I have no idea how the hell this is happening. PJ Tucker has been resurrected after we absolutely smashed him all of last year for how little he was providing the Bucks. He'll put up like 12, eight, and four every night, and it's just wild. But at the focal point of all that is Hero and. 
The really impressive thing is his numbers have not fallen off despite the injuries, which is a pretty key uh, indicator that even as defenses are keying in on him, it hasn't really impacted his ability to get his buckets. So, you know, here is a guy for me. And, you know, frankly, even though he comes off the bench mostly, he does close a lot of games. And that shows you that he's going up against uh, A-team defenses. It's not just about beating up on the backups. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think this one was a pretty much a good one. Were there, was there anyone else you were mulling at this spot for six-man? I mean, I thought about a few guys, right? Like, y- you look at who are the best teams in the league, and you look at Phoenix, right? Is Cam Johnson a candidate for this spot? Where he, especially with Miles Bridges, kind of, uh, sorry, Mikel Bridges, I think has been a little inconsistent as of late, and like DeAndre Ayton's been out of the lineup, Jay Crowder's been out of the lineup. That, that's a guy that I looked at. Um, even, uh, you know, Patty Mills, but he basically starts now, so he's not really someone I think you could you could account for here. Um, and then, honestly, the Bulls have a couple candidates, right? But their lineups have been in such disarray with COVID, like, you wouldn't go out and say, oh, Javante Green or Io Desunmu needs to be up yeah. there. So I think Hero is a clear-cut favorite. What about you? Who else were you thinking about here? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really have anyone else. I think this year was weird. I there weren't any. Usually there are a couple guys who jump out at you. This year, mm-hmm. the Clarksons of the world, none of, none of those guys really jumped Clarkson out. hasn't been that good. Exactly. Um, none of those gunners have, have really jumped out. So Jordan me, I think, Poole I mean, will be an interesting candidate because he's going to move to the bench now that Clay's back. I think. Yeah, but now it's too late, right? Like, I mean, th- there was there was some buzz around. Maybe does Gary Payton uh, get some some credit as you know coming off the bench? He doesn't do that much, but no. defensively, he you know he's been a spark plug for the Warriors. So I don't know. There, I think heroes the clear-cut choice, and he should win. Yeah, and I'm almost thinking through, like, who are the even the other options, right? And, like, Ricky Rubio maybe before that injury, but now he's gone. Kevin Love? Kevin Love Kevin has Love, been Yeah, Kevin Love's been really, really, really solid. And we've shit on Kevin Love a lot on this podcast, but he's – dude, give him props. He's playing awesome basketball right now. Yeah, no, he's he's been – it's weird. Like, I don't understand. He's playing, like, limited minutes and then dropping, like, 25 points, like, in 20 minutes. It's – bizarre yeah and i feel like in recent years his um his efficiency had really dropped to the point that when he was getting his numbers it was mostly due to a uh, increase in shot volume or minutes and now he's playing much more efficiently he's still grabbing a, a lot of rebounds and i think you know he's been he's been huge the other guy I should mention and again he's become a starter otherwise i think he'd be a real candidate here is jalen brunson um, who's been awesome for Dallas, especially with all of the Luka absences. But I think he's Hasn't starting he too much. Hasn't started a lot of games, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's starting too much. And, you know, preseason he was not in their starting lineup. Now, even with Luka back, they're starting him next to him. So he's yeah. probably going to be out of the running. Okay. All right. How about Defensive Player of the Year? I'll let you go first on this one. I've been going first in all of them. Um, I have Draymond. Um, if you look at the Warriors, the Warriors are the best defensive team in the league. Um, they are number two in the West with second best record, I think, behind Phoenix after they got smashed tonight by Milwaukee. But nonetheless, 
and I don't even think Draymond played. A lot of credit because early on has gone to the media's darling, Steph Curry, who, you know, in his defense, he got off to a hot start. He was playing really well. He was at 30 points a game, 29 points a game, and definitely seemed to be in the mix for MVP. But for whatever reason, nobody seems to talk about the fact that he has totally dropped off from a shooting standpoint, which is his primary, um, you know, factor or benefit to the team. And the fact that they haven't lost their place in the conference is a testament to the other side of the ball. And the fulcrum of everything that they do on defense is Draymond Green, who is playing revitalized, who's playing like he's got a new motor. And I think Rudy Gobert has been really good, and there might be some voter fatigue there. But I think even putting that aside, Draymond deserved this award. So that's who I picked. I went Draymond, too. Um, And this is simply because, I mean, the Warriors defensively, like you said, are a the best team in the league and Utah has fallen off a good amount. Like Gobert individually, stati- like all by well, all. He's been out. Metrics. And I think that, that kind of gives maybe he's been out with COVID ironically. So maybe that gives credence to his argument. He is, but I think, but I think even when he was playing, they weren't like a top five unit. Um, so, I mean, there's still yeah. been a good defensive team. I just think they're not the elite team they were before. And the fact that golden state now has really become, Something else, and you look across that lineup, like, yeah, Wiggins is a solid defender, but really it's, once again, Draymond. And like you said, revitalized. Like, you watch him. He looks different this year. And I don't know. I mean, he's even said sometimes like it's the winning. Like, when, you know, it was hard for those lean years for the Warriors. I mean, the yeah. one year they're really bad, and then last year they were kind of flirting with the eighth seed. Um, Yeah, so I, I think Draymond, by all accounts, should win it this year. And I think, you know, a couple other guys you could talk about. Giannis, um, you know, he's been asked to do more defensively too. Lopez being out, um, and he's had a stellar season as well. So you can make the argument, but I think you just got to go with the best. Yeah, what's up with Lopez, dude? I thought he was going to be gone for like two games, and he's missed like 40. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. What is the injury? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not tracking what the problem is here. I don't either. It's kind of it's kind of weird to me. Um, I thought he'd be back at some point, but no, they're still playing. Yeah, it's, so. I think Giannis is a good candidate, and you know we don't have Ben Simmons, who's usually in this in the mix here, right? We don't have some of the other guys that maybe would would factor in, like guys have been hurt. Like Anthony Davis is always in the mix as someone who should be in this conversation. He's been gone, right? What about what about uh, the the Cavs like Jared Allen? Does he? I mean, he he has a little bit of a candidacy, right? I think the problem is it's it's a combination of Mobley and Allen who really anchored that defense. So yeah. I don't think either one of them can win it. I think collectively, if they were one player, then yes. But yeah, and to our earlier point, Utah is thirteenth in defense, so not yeah. pretty from what we expected from them. Yeah, and I don't think that's all explained by Gobert's absence. So. Totally. I mean, because he's only missed a few games. And yeah. the, on the flip side, they're like on fire and well above second place offensively. So that's the the funny turn that's taken place. Um, all right. MVP. We're going to do uh, our coach of the year. Oh, coach, coach, coach of the year. Um, coach of the year. I have Billy Donovan. And I think you can go a lot of directions with this. We talked about the Bulls last week. I am so impressed with, and I know he's been out with COVID also, but I'm so impressed with how this has gelled between DeRozan and Levine. Um, I know Levine is a spectacular off-the-ball player, so when you look at it that way, it should work. 
but he spent a lot of time in ISO and pick and roll basketball this year. And that is DeRozan's bread and butter as well. I didn't think it was going to work. They've made it work. They've staggered minutes beautifully between those two while supplementing the right type of role players around them. You know, the drop-off with with Patrick Williams being hurt has not cost them. Um, they're okay uh, defensively. They're 16th. It's not like they're great. But offensively, they're fourth, and they've got as much firepower as we expected. And so I'm going Billy Donovan for kind of making the pieces click, which is in what's been a makeshift season, even despite all these new additions. Good pick. I'm going Taylor Jenkins. I already made the case last week. Yeah. Um, I like the Billy Donovan pick because just the Bulls have made such a big leap. Um, and a lot of the questions we, there were so many questions around defense and how these pieces would fit. And like you said, the DeRozan Levine fit, a lot of people clowned on it and it's worked brilliantly. So, um, I just think Memphis is in the West, which I know the East this year is equally as competitive as the West. The West is not the same. Yeah. Don't let that bias cloud your judgment here. Yeah, but it's, it's still, they're like, you know, in that upper echelon of teams, they're streaking right now. Like. 11 in a row, they've survived without jaw. Like that to me, his case is, is really strong. So I think the 10 and 2 without jaw is like the feather in Taylor Jenkins' cap. Yep. And it actually says more to the, him and their team than it does like anything against jaw's like impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has nothing to do with jaw. It's about that team for sure. I feel cynical and like just an angry old guy saying this now that I'm 33. But. I think I've already gotten a little tired of the Memphis love, which is crazy to say for a team and a city and a franchise that gets no love and is universally overlooked. But maybe it's Ja. He likes too many things and posts on Twitter. And so I see too much of it. (laughs) I feel like I'm just like, all right, I get it. Like you guys are great. I'm happy for you. Or maybe I'm just bitter as like a wizards fan. Because I saw a tweet that was like, man, these 2021 Grizzlies or 22 Grizzlies look a lot like the early Wizards years with Wall and Beal or like John, Desmond Bain. And I'm like, I think John might already be better than either of them have ever been in their (laughs) careers. So I'm not sure how to feel about this. I I mean, I kind of feel the same way because with these things, you never know. Like it could it could be a flash in the pan. Like, is this team really going to be this good and a contender to come? I don't know. So the, some people go overboard with the hype and the, the credit, but it's also, you know what? Sometimes it's nice to hear about Memphis instead of about LA all the time and Brooklyn. Yeah. And so I like how they've stared down big te- big time opponents who have made comebacks on them and they still yeah. won. Like Golden State made a big run to take the lead. The yeah. Lakers came back from a huge deficit twice and they closed them all out. And I think they've done that repeatedly, which is what gives me a lot of confidence that it's not just like, hey, we're going to be front runners. Yeah, Because in the Golden State game, they actually went down like seven points or nine points or something like that after being up like 15. And they still came back and put it away before, you know, the game was even in the balance. I thought that was really impressive. And it's why I think they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. You know, this isn't just a nice, cute regular season story. They could easily win round one and then round two, they could, they're they going to give whoever they play a fight. So, um, yeah. All right, so you had Jenkins. I had Donovan. I think both worthwhile choices. All right, MVP. So we did five-man ballots each, right? So do you want me to read mine one to five or five to one? Five to one. All right. 
This one was really hard. I felt like it was a foregone conclusion a couple weeks ago, and now I don't feel good about it at all. But uh, here goes I feel nothing. great about mine, but okay, go ahead. All right, number five, I have Steph Curry. Still got to respect his numbers overall and the team's performance and the gravity that he creates on offense that I think opens up a lot of shots for guys like Wiggins and Poole and otherwise. And I think his shooting is going to improve once Clay starts getting back to his normal minutes threshold. And he's Clay, I think, is, to his credit, has looked decent in you know the few games he's been back. Number four, Nikola Jokic. Unreal numbers, um, carrying this woebegun roster to like a 500 record. You don't feel great about the team's performance, but I literally don't think there's anything one player can do more than what Jokic is doing. If this was like baseball where we didn't care about records, Jokic would win this award. Number three, DeMar DeRozan. Elevated <laughs> his game across the board. The number one seed Chicago Bulls, he's their leading scorer. He's their crunch time operator. He's hit multiple game winners. He was clowned on all offseason oh for that contract. God. And what does he do? He comes to Chicago. He shows up at my house, and we hang out. And then he continues to dominate all season. And we're boys. And I think DeRozan's a guy who developed his game in obscurity, and now he's got it back on the national stage. So he is number three. Number two, Giannis Atentacupo. He's been awesome all year. The Bucks have been hurt, COVID. Otherwise, they're kind of still figuring it out. But he's my number two spot. Number one by default with very much an out to eventually change this is Kevin Durant. As bad as the Nets have been recently, he's amazing every time he steps on the floor. And they got their own shit to figure out. And Kyrie's vaccine mandate thing apparently didn't even matter. And the whole thing was like fucking simulation that we were all part of. But nonetheless... If and when they get that full team back, you saw what they did to to Chicago last night, beat them by 26 on the road. Um, so I think Kevin Durant, given his stats, he's a lead leading scorer. He's been hyper efficient, very, very durable. I think he is currently the favorite um, for this award, and I think the deserved candidate. And All I right. may have forgotten about Ja now that I think about this, but nonetheless. All right. Well, first of all, everything you said, I – agree with uh for the most part except for DeRozan man you dude five games ago okay let's say five or six games ago before the two buzzer beaters would you have had him even in top five bro you can check my tweets I think I talked about is he an MVP candidate like a couple weeks ago I, I want to check because I, I think that think seems I like did. a tweet you'd said after he hit the game winner and you start thinking about his whole season as a whole all right, while you go through he's, this, I'm going to see if I can find okay. mine. He's been amazing, right? This is this is where I'm going. Jokic is number five for me. Now, I agree with everything you said. You put you had him at four, I have him at five. Minor difference. Penalizing him a bit for the team, not his fault, but just, you know, slides him down a little bit. And that's why I have him below Steph. Now, you know I'm not the biggest Steph guy, but and and his shooting numbers this year have fallen off a cliff, like we talked about. I still think because the Warriors have been so good, he needs to get some kind of credit. So I'm putting him at four over Jokic. So we're flipping our four and five. Okay, okay, fine. Number three is LeBron. And I mean, what is is there to say about LeBron, man? He's and and yeah, the team argument, the Lakers have not been great, but 
the numbers he's been putting up, this is one of his best kind of shooting seasons um, from three point uh, from the three point line, especially. And the fact that he's the engine, like we haven't seen LeBron have to carry a team like this since the 2018 Cavs. And even that team, I feel like he didn't have to do as much on a night to night basis as this sorry ass Lakers team. So he needs some credit. He's not going to win MVP. He shouldn't win MVP, but I'm putting him number three on my ballot. Giannis number two, just because his numbers, once again, eye-popping. Milwaukee, they've struggled recently, still good. And then number one, Durant, my preseason pick. I don't th- you know, I agree with you here. I think he's the clear-cut MVP. Although, you know, his numbers slipping. might... Yeah, it's slipping. And, and with Kyrie coming back, he may also ease up a little bit. The numbers may not be as much in his favor. But right now, he's head and shoulders above the rest. What's the argument for LeBron over Jokic? Because Jokic is having a better statistical season and their teams are both stuck in mud. To me, it's a career achievement award. <laughs> it's the Kobe Bryant Memorial All-Defensive Team Award. For I don't know, LeBron. man. Sometimes sometimes the things that shouldn't matter kind of do, right? The His age he's playing at, the fact that as... As bad as the Nuggets have been, or like the lack of talent around Jokic, the Lakers, the guys around LeBron have been playing, I would argue, much worse. Um, And you can't rely on anyone consistently. Like, yeah, you're going to get a 20, 25-point Bleak Monk game every now and then. Um, But other than that, like, who's generating offense to them? Like, Austin Reeves is taking, like, is playing crunch time minutes, like, in several of these games. So, At least he got, what, 20 games from Anthony Davis? 15, 20 games? Like... Be happy he got that much. And Russell Westbrook has been getting a bunch of rebounds and been really good right lately. So I think um <laughs> Russell Westbrook's been Did you see him against the Kings? Did you see how they trolled him with the um Bro, the internet is on fire from that Kings game. The 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 funny thing is, I was thinking about this, right? For the first time ever in Russell Westbrook's career, the intensity and the passion and the fucking like anxiety of his team's fan base for the first time ever, has outsurpassed his personal fan base. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I remember last year in, in, in Washington, Wizards fans were a quiet bunch. There's, like, seven of us. We were, like, pulling our hair out earlier in the year when he was doing the same kind of shit, right? Like, going, like, four of 14 with, like, seven turnovers and whatnot. And all the rust stands would come out of the woodwork and just, like, hammer everyone, right? And be like, dude, you guys don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. First battle, Hall of Famer, 9X, All-NBA, et cetera, et cetera. But now the Lakers fans are so – it's not just Lakers fans. It's Lakers fans and LeBron fans. We're yeah. like, this fucking guy is ruining LeBron's legacy. Like, look at what LeBron t- – and it's like the Lakers fans were like, oh, my God, our championship window is dead. Like, it is all-out panic. It is hilarious to watch. Um, And, you know, the funny thing is, like, yes, it's LeBron's fault. And so he's for, – for going after Westbrook, right? So he, he kind of deserves this. But I still feel so bad from watching him on the court because, like, in so many ways, Westbrook's like the antithesis of what LeBron wants out of a teammate. Like, get to your spot, make smart shots, cut, and I'll find you. Um, and well, why wouldn't he know that? That's what I don't understand. I think he knows that, man. I think Westbrook is just stubborn. He doesn't want to change. Like, I think no. He's just why wouldn't team. LeBron know that before making this decision? He had 13 years of evidence that this was the. I don't think LeBron's an amazing evaluator of talent. He sees a guy with a lot of energy, a guy who can kind of seemingly get you through the regular season. I mean, we talked about this, right? Um, 
plays with passion, plays with energy. He's a veteran. They have a good relationship off the court. I get it. It's just, yeah. I just, I think, I mean, Anthony Davis coming back is going to be helpful. I'm interested to see what they do with these LeBron at center lineups. But yeah, like if you can't trade Russ, which I think I acknowledge is going to be hard, you have to find a way to bench him in crunch time. I don't know what that's going to do to him in terms of like his sort of general ego and kind of assumptions about what the role he should be playing is, but you cannot like, did you see that clip yesterday? That was like against the Kings. They were down 95, 90. <laughs> he takes a three that I think clangs off the backboard. Oh yeah. The pull up three. And he's staring and watching the shot. And the guy who was guarding him leaks out for an open layup. Yeah. So he was like posing. Then he gets the ball. <laughs> Dribbles around for like 20 seconds, turns it over for no reason, fast break, healed three. I, I know so exactly. So it went from a five to ten point game within like two seconds. I know exactly the sequence you're talking about. Um, I was watching it. It was hilarious. Uh, and I, I don't know, man. He's never going to change. I think every team convinces themselves. He's, he's like the biggest con artist of all time. Convinces every team, convinces every fan base he's going to play differently. Um, I mean, the Laker fans were saying, look, Westbrook will be different with LeBron. Westbrook will play differently. Westbrook will play off ball. He'll cut. He'll do different things with LeBron on his team. He doesn't have to shoulder the load. That's the exact same. The, the, only, the only sort of silver lining is if you look at the Houston year and you look at the Washington year, he really struggled the first half of the year, and he kicked it into a much higher gear the second half. Um, now we're kind of already past the point of when in those previous seasons he turned it around. So maybe it's just a little delayed, but that's what the Lakers have to hope for. But yeah, nonetheless, maybe. all right. You as a Homer put LeBron over Jokic. I think you could argue that LeBron deserves a top five spot, but I don't know how you're going to knock my boy DeRozan off. Who's leading Give the number one break. seed bulls. Yeah. But so Levine has also been amazing for them, right? Like it's not like it's just been the DeRozan show. I no, think with all I... these other guys, like literally everyone else on my list, Durant, uh, I mean, Harden's there with Durant, but Durant's been so good. Giannis, uh, he has obviously Holiday and Middleton, but still clear head and shoulders above the rest of the team. LeBron, Steph, Jokic. These guys are all the clear alpha dogs. Levine is a big part of the Bulls' success as well. So, And don't forget Ayu Dusunmo. <laughs> who would probably be like the second best player on the Lakers right now, honestly. Yeah. All right, let's switch to all NBA teams. So for me, there's f- four locks on first team. I've got um, four locks as well. And I think we're going to have the same ones. So Jokic, Durant, Giannis are pretty much unassailable. Now it's almost like a second tier lock. I got to go Steph. Cause I think he has been the best guard even though he's given up that crown. So those are my four locks. Do you have those four on your first team? I have those four. And just a disclaimer, we are following the traditional guard, guard, forward, forward, center designation. Correct. You have to have a center. It's not like all-star where it's three front court, two um, back court. Okay. Now, so what we don't know, and we won't know until year end is how the designations work for the players. Cause like last year it was all over the board where like Jason Tatum, who's played literally a hundred percent of his minutes at small forward or power forward is given guard eligibility. We don't know how that's going to be shaken out. So it's kind of our best guess right now. Yep. Okay. So you had, you had those four. Mm-hmm. Who'd you have in your fifth spot, which in this clearly would be the guard. 
I know who you have. Actually, I don't know who you have. I've I put Donovan Mitchell. Okay. And to me, the spot came between Donovan Mitchell and Ja. And in a lot of ways, <clears throat> they're similar players in time in terms of the kind of the offensive stats. Ja has been a better three-point shooter. But once again, the the reason I picked Mitchell is he has a track record. And Ja, for example, 40% three-point shooting. Is that just hot for one season and falls back? I don't know. So I'm going to always favor the pedigree when it's an even match. And so I'm taking Mitchell. And and Utah's been just as good as Memphis, right? Or better. Better, yeah. So I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I think Donovan Mitchell, full disclosure, is on my LNBA teams. I did go Ja here. And the reason, I think, is kind of what you pointed to, which is like not only is this an overachieving team, not only have they been absolutely out of their minds the last like month and a half, I don't know that Utah – there's so much debate about is it this Gobert is the best player, Mitchell's the best player. If you're a basketball purist, maybe you would say Mitchell because he's the engine that drives the offense and he's the one that can go get you buckets. But there's people who analytically say Gobert is the only reason this team is like excellent, right? They fall back much more into a version of being above average when he's not out there. I think with his absence, especially recently, we're starting to see that play out a little bit more. I'm not going to ding Mitchell too much on that, but I do think he's a volume stat accumulator. Yep. And he plays in a really, really friendly system to his skill set, not just in terms of the touches and minutes he gets, but also the types of players around him. You know, guys who don't need the ball in their hands a ton. And for that reason, I think his stats are a little inflated. I like um, what I've seen more from from Ja as the primary fulcrum of still a very good offense. Not Utah level, but still a good offense that has you know competes on both ends. Now, he does not factor in that much on the defensive end, but they're the sixth-ranked offense and I think you know eighth-ranked defense. So even though you could argue he's a net negative defender, he hasn't hurt them to that level, and that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Ja first-team NBA, which is crazy given he's going to be a first-time All-Star. I don't know how, how often that happens. Yeah, uh, but like I said, I don't have any argument against that. I think in many ways, I even think he, he can make first team and would deserve it. Um, but it's early in the season. Once again, I'm taking the long view, right? Assuming John might kind of come back down to earth with some of the shooting and Mitchell's going to be more consistent. I'm putting Mitchell in there. Yep. All right, second team. If you start with the center, I think this one is a lock. Uh, I think I have four locks and the fifth guy I was debating. So my four locks are Embiid, LeBron, DeRozan, and Mitchell, which we just talked about. Do you do you have those three minus Mitchell plus whoever your guard is on this team? Yes. Okay. So you have DeRozan second team. You didn't like put him in like the honorable mention group. I, I, after, after no, I got DeRozan second team. Um, my guard, uh, yeah, I got Jaw instead. Okay, right? who's the instead fifth? So we have, so we have nine the same guys, right? Yeah. Who's your fifth guard or your fourth guard? I guess. So this one was really hard for me. Um, I went with Trey. Yeah, so did I. I did too. Now, now I know the 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 argument against Trey is the Hawks have regressed. We talked about this last week, right? They're our disappointing team. Um, he's been lights out, man. Uh, and just, I think one of the, 
continuing the the narrative around Trey where like just a season ago or a season and a half ago, um, a lot of bad shots did not always make the right plays. Um, I think he's improved his sh- in the playoffs. We saw he improved his shot selection, improved his playmaking, and he continues to improve across all those areas. He's kind of a one man show on offense in a lot of ways. Um, that team has relied on him more than they did last year. Uh, all the the shooting stats and splits, like we can go into the numbers, but he, he's got the numbers. The argument against him is he's a defensive sieve like the rest of the team. The team has been god awful this year. Uh, so it's like, how much do you want to reward that? But I think the numbers kind of just speak for themselves. So, Yeah, I mean, they talked about this on the Simmons pod this week. I thought the good point that was made that I resonated with me quite a bit was that he's not responsible for their defense as much as we want him to be. Like, he's a horrible defender, but there have been good defenses built around horrible defenders. Like, freaking Isaiah Thomas led a team to the conference finals, right, who may be the worst defender yeah. in NBA history. So... It can be done, but if you're going to have a sieve on that end, you have to protect him in a way that the Hawks just haven't. And what he's responsible for, which is the offense, is lights out. They're second in the league behind Utah. He's been a fucking revelation. Um, I think he last year he his numbers took a little bit of a dip, and I think it was because he was playing a little bit more of a unselfish brand of basketball than earlier in his career. We're seeing those numbers uptick back, but I don't feel like he's hogging the ball. I feel like he's making no. the right decisions. Offensively, exactly. he looks like he's totally locked in. And they've had a bunch of you know, injuries and other issues. So despite who's in the lineup, as long as he's there, um, I think they're going to be great. And this, this brings me to another point, which is like Atlanta just traded Cam Reddish today, uh, which you probably saw for a pick, essentially, which is maybe ammo for something in the future. Maybe they just don't want to pay Cam, maybe both. It almost doesn't matter who's out there with him. He's going to produce good offensive results. And I think if Travis Schlank, their GM, is aware of that, it's really going to change his philosophy in the trade market. And they basically said there's like a fire sale going on and everyone but Trey and Capella is available. You kind of look at it even like John Collins, who I really like, by the way, or Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I like in some situations, or Kevin Herter. All of these dudes are good offensive players and probably better offensive than they are defensive. They don't matter in this sense, right? Cause if Trey's on the floor, he's going to get it to work with whoever they're much, much better off figuring out a way to trade some of that offense for defense, which is where they really struggle. And I think that's how they're going to remake the team maybe on the fly uh, by the deadline. And, you know, to his credit, they built the team in such a way where they have so many of these pieces that, like you said, they're all, they're not interchangeable, but a lot of those guys, you can swap them in and out and you're not losing too much. So th- they'll yep. be fine, I think, in the long run. And, and Trey is, he's the kind of player like the Luca, like the Steph, who everything can kind of revolve around him and you're going to be fine. It's yep. just a little worrisome that they've been this bad this year in, in an East yep. that at the bottom, the bottom is still up for grabs, right? Like a lot of those bottom teams are not world beaters. Um, you know, the Cavs, the Hornets, the Raptors, and they're still struggling to their 12th right now. It's you know, worrisome because um, it's we're now 41 six games, games behind 500, right? Midway through the season. So, yeah, I, and maybe we're not maybe we're not doing a good job sort of addressing the results because I think they matter more for all NBA than they do for all star. And the reality is this is just not a very good team, and why should he be credited for that? But he's been individually spectacular. So for now, I think, okay to put him here. 
All right, okay. why don't you lead with your third team? All right, so my third team, I've got, um, I got no locks. All of these, I felt like uh, not super sure yeah. about. I was pretty confident with my top ten, top nine for sure. But even Trey, I think, is would definitely make the third team if he wasn't on the second team. Yeah. Third team at the guard spots, I have Chris Paul, mm-hmm. Zach Levine. Okay. And at the forward spots, I have Jimmy Butler and Draymond Green. And at the center spot, I think I'm forgetting someone, but I put Carl Anthony Towns. Um, okay. Okay. Well, the guy you might be forgetting is Gobert, but if you, but oh, I think yeah. it's either one or the other. So you know what? I'll go with Towns. I'll go with Towns over Gobert. Okay. And so let, let me look. Paul Levine. I think Levine, like I said, has been the fact that the Bulls are the number one seed and been this good, and Levine is a big part of that. As much as DeRozan's been getting the headlines lately, I think he deserves a spot. Chris Paul. The numbers aren't eye popping whatsoever, but that Suns team. It's continues to run through him. Like, you know, even Devin Booker scoring wise has taken a step back this year. He's playing more efficiently. Cam Johnson's playing well. A lot of other guys are contributing offensively, but Paul is still the engine. Jimmy Butler, I already talked about. I think he's been so good in the limited games he has played. And um and Draymond just for his defensive impact on the number one defensive team, giving him that all NBA spot. Towns is the most interesting because I think Towns to me. I've always been critical of Towns saying, like, what's him and DeMarcus Cousins? What's the difference? But he's his numbers have, have gone to another level this year. And Minnesota as a team has has improved significantly and looking in the, in the firm bubble race. Um, and and I think that's worth being rewarded, um, but would not argue against Rudy Gobert here either. So I had three of your guys. So I had Paul. I had Levine and I had Cat actually. I did pick Cat over Gobert. I just think offensively what he's doing right now is next level. He's 43% from three on seven threes a game. Like he's just so polished. And I think Minnesota's winning enough that makes me want to reward him for that. I think he's going to be an all star as well, which we'll get to in a future episode. So I think he's going to be on that team for the third time in his career. I cheated a little bit because I think Levine is going to be given forward eligibility and I moved him to forward. And I picked James Harden, who yeah. is having a bad season for being James Harden. For anyone else, it's a phenomenal year. And I know when you watch him, he looks lethargic. He looks like he's not trying half the time. I got a newsflash. He looks like that a lot in his career. <laughs> it doesn't mean that he's not effective. It doesn't mean that he's not a productive player. When he's played by himself, he's been next level. I know they actually lost tonight to... Uh, Oklahoma City on a back-to-back, but they rested everyone basically except him, including Durant and Kyrie. And the fact is, when he's by himself, he's putting up monster numbers. The defense comes and goes, but it's come and gone for 10 years. And when push comes to shove, whether it's him or Devin Booker or, you know, you could go Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, all these different guys, like there are arguments for a bunch of them. But I would rather have Harden. I think he's the best of that bunch, and he's played well enough to get the spot for me. Um, and then, so obviously bumped one of your forwards. I bumped both of them. So I took Luca. Um, Luca has been, has missed almost as many games as Jimmy Butler, but he's coming back where I think Butler's still missing some time. They've both been good. Jimmy's been probably better, 
um, truthfully. But the way Luka has been playing of late, the way the Mavericks have been playing of late has given me more encouragement. This is a bit of one of those like projection to what I think will end up being. Even not just forget the end of the season, maybe by the next month we'll probably be putting him in this category because he's been so disappointing. The fact that we're talking about a fringe third third team all NBA spot for a guy who should have that first team spot locked up year after year is embarrassing. But pedigree in a way, he is he's young and as sort of uh, green as he is compared to a Jimmy Butler or a Draymond Green. I think he's earned a little bit of that benefit of the doubt. And I think he's going to come back and post ankle injury play a lot better and hopefully play his way into shape. Cause the fucking, I don't know why he's not, but we talked about this. We don't know what's going on with him, but I think he looks better now than he did in October. Is that, did you name all of them? Yeah. So cat Luca Levine, Paul and Harden. Okay. So I actually had an oversight here because originally I had put DeRozan as a guard by accident, just out of, you know, uh, how I've traditionally thought of him. Heart. And then I realized, and then I put him on second team guard. And then I had Luke on my third team, but then I started shift. Once I moved to Rosen, it had this cascading effect on everyone else. And then I somehow <laughs> dropped Luca. I would hey, take Luca over Draymond. For Freudian uh, slip. You can't go back. Fine. But if anything, I would take Luca over Draymond uh, simply for the fact, once again, like I said, I value pedigree and his numbers are a bit down. He's been out of shape. Dallas recently, um, even, you know, he, I know Luca just came back, but they've been on kind of a tear and, and they're playing a lot better lately. Um, so I don't even think that the team success argument can be used against him. So Luca, no problem with that. I think the interesting thing you said about, um, Harden, uh, Harden right? I, I, I would put Harden on the list. It's just that with the six guards and I, since I treated Levine as a guard, I didn't see him having a stronger case impact-wise um, than Paul and Levine. Numbers-wise, yes, I know it, it, he's still amazing. He still can carry the team on a night where Durant sits out or doesn't need to score a lot. But I, I feel like Paul and Levine should be rewarded for the fact that their teams are really good. And and then Levine, maybe you could argue Harden should make it over him, but Levine has had such a tremendous season that yeah, and I, and I think Levine will get forward eligibility because they play a lot with him at the small forward, DeRozan at the four, with Caruso and Ball in the backcourt. And for that reason, I felt comfortable because I do think he deserves a spot. I couldn't really split the tie between him, Paul, and, and, and look, Booker's up there too, right? Like, we didn't even talk really about Devin Booker, who's been pretty good this year for a great Suns team. He hasn't I, been, I'm, like, amazing, but... I'm pretty satisfied with leaving him off the ballot. If there was a he always team, does feel like he's there. like an all star. He's not all NBA to me. Like, I just the problem I have with Booker. Like this year, he's been super efficient, right? His efficiency is a lot. He's the scoring is down from a pure points perspective. Efficiency is up. He just feels like a player that could be doing more. Like, and I know that maybe this is a better role for him. A guy who, you know, and on a bad team could maybe average thirty a game. Like, this is probably a better role for him. But I just feel like. Despite how good the Suns are, I don't feel like he t- does enough. Right, right, um, right. I mean, they have that's, a that's the, extra, team that's the expectations we have of him too, right? Like, I just think right. of him as a guy who could be doing more. So, plus they have a balanced team. They're gonna get a, a lot of production yeah. from different guys. Like, we didn't even talk about Aiton, who's been really good this year. Um, I don't know that he could challenge for an All NBA spot, but 
Maybe yeah. the all-star team is, is, is something that he could have some argument for. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's wrap by going to the NFL. Um, there are six games that we mentioned this weekend. We're going to zip through these, make our picks, make your short case for why you're going the direction you're going. And we'll keep track of this for the duration of the playoffs and whoever wins, um, or whoever loses has to spend one episode complimenting the other one endlessly um, in a very subtle but appropriate way. Love it. All right. Love it. All right. Let's do it. All right. So the first game we have, as Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal would say, the Shakey's game of the, the week game. is the Bengals at home versus the Las Vegas Raiders favored by five and a half. Give me the Bengals to cover five and a half. It's bold. Bengals already thrashed them early in the season. The matchup just works out well. They've got a, um, you know, the Raiders are one of the worst rush defenses in the league. Joe Mixon's going to eat. And I think the Bengals are just a hot team. I think Burrow is is clicking with all his receivers. They're getting hot at the right time. And the Raiders got lucky being here, right? I think it's just one of those cases where since he wins by 10. You're not feeling any team of destiny for Vegas after everything they've been through and the way the crazy way that game ended on Monday? No, that stuff runs out, right? I think it it peaked at that game on Monday. And yeah, they got their little trophy now. What an amazing season. Now they go home. I have the Bengals too. Um, I think that I wanted to take the Raiders. It's going to be cold. It's going to be close. And the Raiders have a great kicker in, in Daniel Carlson, as well as a pretty balanced offense now between Jacobs and what Carr is doing. But I don't, so, and as you know, the, the Bengals made the playoffs, I think six or seven times under Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis and lost every single time. Um, they did not win one of those playoff games that they went to all those years in a row. So there's a little bit of like juju they got to get rid of, but I think Joe Burrow is the guy to do it. Anytime you want to turn your franchise around, he's the guy. I'm in love with Joe Burrow. Yep. Before we move All on right. to the next game, can we quickly talk about the timeout that that that, uh, that Brandon uh, Staley Sta- called? Staley called. People calling for him to be fired, or that he's an idiot, or that he lost him the game. Do, do, does anyone understand? fucking logic and why this happened the way it did like what was your stance on this i i i don't i mean i don't i don't think it's super justified i also don't think it was an egregious timeout i just don't i don't know why this is the point of conversation so in my opinion not only was it justified it was meaningless because the raiders were not going to kick a 57-year... It was actually game theory at its finest. The Raiders were not going to kick a 57-yard field goal on 4th and 10 or whatever, 4th and 4, with 30 seconds left on the clock. Because if they missed, which is a very far field goal, the Chargers, if they so chose, could come back and, and clearly just, you know, get into field goal range pretty quickly and send the Raiders packing. Right? The Raiders were perfectly content to play with the tie, which is why they ran the ball. If they were so intent on winning, they would have probably thrown it. They ran it on third and four and got 10 yards. How is that any way related to the timeout? In fact, the timeout, calling it when it did at the end of the play clock was actually genius because it signaled we don't really want the ball back. We just don't want you to kick. 
Because if the Raiders had gotten stopped on that third and four, they would have punted and put the pin the Chargers back at like the two-yard line, or even if it was a touchback, whatever. The Chargers were not going to go the length of the field in 15 seconds, 20 seconds at that point. They would have kneeled it out, and they would have both been in the playoffs. That's point one. Point two, the Chargers, the, Ra- the Ch- Raiders knew that if they tied, they would go to Kansas City and play a team that they just got smacked 48-9 to like a month ago. They didn't want to do that. Going to Kansas City versus going to Cincinnati, even though we both think the Bengals are going to win, going to Cincinnati, believe it or not, is a hell of a lot easier than going to see Patrick Mahomes in his stadium. So that's another thing that mattered. But ultimately, the timeout had nothing to do with anything. If you want to talk about the substitution they made and whether that was worse for making that stop on an outside run, fine. But it was not anything that didn't change the Raiders' philosophy whatsoever. I think a lot of the backlash against the timeout was just that a lot of people have been upset at Brandon Staley in general because of his weird fourth down calls. And even in this game, right, they called one from their own 18-yard line, I think. Um, Which was bizarre. Bizarre, yeah. So, But a lot of people also just like kind of railing, like being like, see, analytics isn't always the answer. You're too, like, you think you're smarter than, you know, for your, uh, than you should this actually so, rep, this actually represents a lot of what's going on in the country right now. You just dig into your own philosophies and anything that justifies what you think, you double down on and anything that disproves what you think, you ignore. Like the analytics people were like, "Oh yeah, I think that was a good call to go for it on 4th and 2 and from your own 18." Yeah, yeah, that made sense. The, the odds clearly say that that inc- It's like, would you disagree with any 4th downs if they went for it on 4th and 18 in the first quarter from their 2-yard line would you be like yeah well you know you can always get the ball back quickly if they just score after you don't get it like they're at the point where they would agree with anything and, and non-analytics people non-analytics people are at the point like there's people who are saying that the Chargers should have kicked the extra point after they you know it was 29-14 cuz you want to extend the game that's a core tenet of analytics to not extend the game. Yeah. You have to know what you need, right? As it, soon as it, it you took can... me a while to understand why that's the case, but and I believe yeah. in that. But there's still people who are just like arguing, like, "No, you. Why would you do that? Morale, blah blah blah. You might as well extend. it. You'd rather know you need one more two yeah. point conversion, Earlier. three minutes left, than zero seconds left. Exactly. Um, anyway, I just wanted to rant about that, and I figured this was the only forum I had to do it. <laughs> um, I mean. Look, I, I, I don't care about the timeout that much. I'm, I I get the reasoning behind it. I'm not going to also argue that it was this brilliant tactical decision. I thought it was meaningless. Like you said, I, I don't think it changed anything really. At the end of the day, they couldn't stop a third and four run, and that's what did it meant. Like, yeah, and they couldn't. That, they were second and 11. And they, it was second and 11, and they gained 17 yards on two runs. That's what changed the game. And that's all there is to it. Like, there's nothing that needs to be discussed. And I bet you if the Raiders were not going to go to Kansas City, Right. Let's say they were going to go to Cincinnati if they even tied. They may have just kneeled it out. I don't think that's part of the calculus. I honestly don't. You because, don't think so? No. No. Uh, I mean, I don't want to see Mahomes if I don't have to. No, dude. I, I agree. I agree. But at that point, you're just trying to live, fight another day, right? Like it, they're not thinking about that. So they want to kick the field goal just because there's no risk to kicking the field goal. Like you run the ball again, yeah, you could fumble it, but it, the risk is minimal. So why not run? Yeah. Try to get a first down and kick a field goal. The kicking risk also with zero seconds left that like it's going to be blocked in return for a touchdown is almost 0%. It's like almost zero. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bills at home versus the Patriots. Third time this season. They are four-point favorites. I was originally going to say the Bills, but give me the Patriots. Give me the Patriots. Okay. Um, Belichick in the playoffs. 
cold weather game. I don't think the Patriots can win another game with like Mac Jones passing what three times or how many ever crazy amount. No, that's not. And they work. they did get spanked by Buffalo last uh, in the last game. I still think with the weather conditions, with the ability their ability to run the ball, it'll be close and they have a chance to win. So I'd I'll take them against the four point spread. You know they can lose by three and you still get it. I got bills all day here. Um, Belichick, it's kind of getting to the point where if you say Belichick, like if you say Popovich, you say LeBron, really, you're always going to just be like, oh, Brady, you just be like, yeah, you're right. I should just back them. I'm willing to go the other way right now and say the Bills should have won that stupid game with Mac Jones passing three times. They shot themselves in the foot so many times in that game. It was unreal. And they, they did beat him pretty soundly um, in New England a couple weeks later. This one's back home. The fans are going to be crazy. I think the Bills sense that they could really be the ones to make a run here. If the Chiefs look kind of uneven, you know, even though they won nine straight, they didn't finish the season strong. Tennessee's not scaring a lot of people as the one seed, truthfully. I think you're going to see a motivated, composed Buffalo team realizing that this could be their Super Bowl uh, opportunity. So I'm going Buffalo minus four. All right. All right. Next up, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers laying eight and a half at home versus the Philadelphia Eagles, who they Give beat me thirty-four to eleven, I believe, earlier this year. Give me Philly. Stop. <laughs> what? Stop doing what? this. What? What do you want me to say? This um... fucking emotional hedge that you do. Stop doing it. <laughs> I'm not. I actually think it'll be a closer game. Uh, if it was a six-point spread, I'd take the Bucks. I think it'll be it's a, a lot of points. Game. It's a lot of points. Um, look, this Bucks team is has been a slow starter uh, a lot of the season, um, and I, ironically, not against the Eagles. Against the Eagles earlier this year, they got up to a hot start, and then the Eagles came back and lost by six. I just think the Bucks have a lot of guys who are injured who are all coming back this week, but they're not going to be ready to kind of just jump into the game right away. Like Levante Davids coming out, coming back after an extended absence. Shaq Barrett, same thing. Leonard Fournette, same thing. And so it's going to be a little bit of a slow start for the Bucks. And and the Eagles, well, the one thing they do well is time of possession, long drives. They run the ball well. The Bucks run defense has not looked the same last couple of weeks. So because it's going to be fewer possessions in this game, because Philly's defense also doesn't give up big plays. Fewer possessions means tighter games, means I'll take the Eagles against the spread. I still think the Bucks win, but yeah. I know what you're doing. Um, it made me, originally I was going to pick the Eagles, but because of what you're doing, I'm going to go the Bucks as emotional hedge against your emotional hedge. Um, like you said, the Eagles' strength is their run game which was not the case earlier in the year when they ran it two times versus the Cowboys uh, on Monday Night Football. The Bucks' defense has not looked as good, but with David coming back, with Vita Vea in the middle, JPP, Shaq Barrett, I think those guys are all going to be playing. I like the Bucks to win by 10 and cover this 8.5 spread. I think they're going to get tested. It's going to be about 27-17. Jalen Hurts is going to make a couple plays, but – in no way, shape, or form am I trying to bet on Jalen Hurts versus Tom Brady in a playoff game. The Bucks will either win by like 17 or more or win by seven or less. That's just how it's Any been chance they lose? There's a chance, but I don't I don't think they will. I'm not gonna go that far. 
This feels a lot like the Reds or the Washington football team yeah. versus the the Bucks. And, and Washington year. lost by eight. Yeah, that's true. That would be that would be a and was the toughest cover. game that we played all playoffs. I would say the Packers game was probably tough. No, the Packers sure. we were spanking them. They came back at the end and they were closer by a score point wise, but that was also eight thirty one twenty three. No, that was 31-26 because they kicked a field goal. Oh, that's that right. Down. That's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Good call. All right. Cowboys favored at home by three versus the 49ers. Give me the Niners to outright win this. Kyle Shanahan, the Debo Samuel on my fantasy team. I love that guy. Yes, sir. Give – this is like – they're you know, the Niners are also playing with just – so much confidence. We've seen look Kyle Shanahan for all his faults and his ego. He has done well in the playoffs with the Falcons. He's gotten them to the Super Bowl. He's gotten the Niners to the Super Bowl. He is a schemer. He, I trust him to put together a great game plan. And Dallas, look, Dallas's defense is good because they take chances. Um, and they, you know, and the one thing you know Jimmy G's susceptible to is throwing picks. Yes, but. Given the way they kind of scheme guys open, given the way they run the ball, I think they'll be able to score on Dallas. I think they'll be able to play well enough defensively to win a close game. So give me SF upset. I think people, because they like to clown the Cowboys for being America's team while sucking year after year, and Jerry Jones runs this like clown shit operation, Mike McCarthy, it's very easy to create the punching bag. I think we forget how damn good this team is. Um, they've played well pretty much all year. They've had a couple blips, including that Arizona game, which you don't really like to see because Arizona's looked bad among, against basically everyone else. That being said, I like the Cowboys here. I think they're actually going to be more sound um, than people realize. And Jimmy G is going to have to make some big-time throws under pressure from a Micah Parsons, from a Demarcus Lawrence, like – you know, you mentioned they do get a lot of picks. They give up a lot of yards. But is Jimmy G the guy to make you pay? Um, I don't know. I can't wait for the Parsons versus Kittle matchup and how they decide they want to guard or defend Debo Samuel. Um, but And then defensively, like, I think Dak is a guy who has been a little up and down this year. But everyone's healthy. Everyone's ready to go. Zeke has looked a little fresher this season. I think yep. Dallas is going to win a low-scoring close game. And... You know, people have to recognize this is actually a good team. As much as it pains me to say it, I think this is actually a good team that has a real chance to win this conference. So I'm going Cowboys. Yeah, I, I can see it. Uh, I think they are a good team. Um, I just think uh, the, the, the Niners in some ways have been more battle-tested, and I think that'll matter. They have been. They have been. I mean, Jimmy went to a Super Bowl, right? And a lot of these guys are still from that roster that went there two years ago. But even just this season, the Cowboys have beat up on a lot of bad teams, and they, they front-run against you know the Eagles and the They're Redskins the ultimate front-runner. Fo- football teams of the world, but yeah, but they are a good team, right? You can't, like, offensively and defensively, they're a complete team, so we'll see. They gave the Chiefs a tough fight. They gave the Bucks a tough fight. They beat the Pats. Oh, but week one doesn't matter, right, according to you? It doesn't. Not in the MVP race. Not for my boy, A-Raj. Who, by the way, isn't playing this week because he got the one seed. You ever heard of it? Um, oh, yeah. How many times has he got the one seed and flamed out? So I don't, I don't care what Not he does this year. I got a big-time Super Bowl bet on the Packers. It's going to be the year of destiny. Everyone out there, pray for me. If he loses to Tom Brady again in the NFC Championship game, what do you do? 
I'm going to start publicly getting some um, advice on this podcast on when I should start hedging this Super Bowl bet. <laughs> you should hedge because... it when they get to the conference championship. I'm telling you right now. But not round two, right? No. Let them play out round two. They're going to lose that on Fucked anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right. This is the biggest spread of the weekend and actually one of the bigger spreads that I can remember seeing in uh, playoffs because usually these games are supposed to be a little bit more competitive. But Chiefs are favored by 12.5 over the Steelers. Now, they played, I think, three weeks ago and the Chiefs boat raced them. It was 36-11 to and Mahomes didn't even finish the game. I think Chad Henney... Uh, was taking snaps there at the end. Big Ben got in for his last hurrah. Does he have what it takes to at least make this competitive? I really want to go to the Steelers here. I really think that Tomlin and they're going to make it an ugly game somehow. It's going to be lower scoring. I can't though. I'm just I'd rather I'd rather just take the Chiefs because it's can the Chiefs win by two scores? Easily. I just don't see how Roethlisberger can keep up. So, And, and this Pittsburgh defense is not the same. They, they've got the pass rush, but the secondary, they're so susceptible. I I'm, I have to say Chiefs, but I really want to pick the Steelers. I hate spreads this big, but I'm riding the Chiefs all day long. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey didn't even play last time. Um, he was out with COVID, and so having him back versus a pretty mediocre back seven, like you said, I just, when you watch the Steelers, it's, you almost need to go back and do like a history lesson on how the fuck this team got into the playoffs. Cause they're just like so anemic offensively, like game yeah. to game. Even if you watch that terrible Baltimore game that they somehow won in overtime, Roethlisberger finds it in his will somehow to make like five to 10 throws a game that matter. I think he needs way, way more against Mahomes and, you know, the Chiefs, like I said, they lost a they lost a bad game to Cincinnati and that they should have won that. They didn't look great versus Denver. They're not exactly firing on all cylinders either. So this isn't gonna be like a walkover. Let's look forward to next week game. I think they're gonna use this as a real way to try to get back on track because now is when, you know, the chips are on the table and they're trying to make another run for the fourth straight year. So I let's call it this way. I wouldn't be stunned if, like, the, you know, let's call it, let's say it was 34 17 and yeah. Roethlisberger leads a touchdown drive at the end of cover or something like that, you know? Wouldn't blow my mind. But of any of the matchups this week, I would be utterly stunned if the Chiefs lost. Um, they, yeah, they're not going to lose, right? It's just a question of the backdoor cover, like you said, or something shenanigans near the end of the game. But yeah. in no ways, I think this is going to be a wire to wire game. Um, so, yeah. All right, Rams, who they went down to the wire and ultimately won the NFC West over the Cardinals. So they are also playing for the third time. They split the previous two, just like the Bills and Patriots, where each team won in the other team's stadium. Rams are four-point favorites versus the Cardinals. Monday night. So this is a Monday night game. Think about the disadvantage, I think, of of, of having to do that than play six days later. Give me the Rams. Uh, four is a little too high for my taste. I think it'll be a really close game, but I, I'll take the Rams. Um, look, Stafford, a lot has been made of Stafford recently with the picks, with how he's been playing. He's been terrible, and yet they still keep winning, except against the Niners. I know. But like my point is they've been playing pretty well down the stretch overall, um, and I think that this Cardinals team, nothing inspires confidence the way they've played, the way they've ended the season. 
it'll be a close game. I just think towards the end, the Rams might win by six. I'm just going to go with the Rams. I love Kyler Murray. He's my guy. He's burned me two straight years in fantasy with second year, second half of the season fall-offs. I'm going to ride him once more. I'm taking the Cardinals. I think J.J. Watt's coming back this week. A little bit of energy in that locker room. They're feeling good. I know there's no DeAndre Hopkins. That offense looks totally different without him. But, dude, how big was that Zach Ertz trade ended up becoming? Like, I thought it was Huge. kind of a throwaway yeah. deal, and he's like the yeah. number one target in that offense now. So, James Conner. Dude, you know James Conner scored 18 touchdowns this season? I know. It's insane. They have a little bit more firepower than they seem to have shown the last few weeks. And like you said, I don't know how much I totally trust Matty Stafford. Um, I think – if you're Arizona, you have to figure out a plan for Cooper Cup, obviously. Cam Akers is going to be back. He looked decent, I think, last week. Uh, you know, given I can't even believe how fast he came back from the Achilles. But I don't trust this Rams team. Even the fact that they got multiple studs on defense, you can move the ball on this team. Um, you saw that with the way – because Jalen Ramsey can cover one side of the field, but, you know, the the – Arizona doesn't rely without Hopkins. They don't rely on one guy taking over. They're yeah. going to run cr- deep posts. They're going to run crossing routes. They're going to let Kyler get out of that pocket. Aaron Donald might eat his lunch. Like there's a very big possibility he sits on him before the end of the game. Um, <laughs> and I am accounting for that, but I like it to be a close game. And so I'm going to just grab the points as a way to hedge against, you know, one of those last second field goals to decide it. That's the first underdog you've taken. One out of seven games. No, 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 no. Wait, is it? It is. Oh, fuck. There's nothing wrong with that, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, you know why? Because, I... okay, can I switch one? No, what? You can't switch now. Why? The games haven't played. You told me I was married to my all-NBA selection, remember? when I was like, oh, wait, can I actually put... <laughs> Yeah, but those are being sent to the league office. These are just for fun. <laughs> Can I tell you which one I would switch? I know which one you'd switch. You switch Dallas. No, I like Dallas. I think Dallas is going to win. I'm going to switch the Raiders. Oh, Give me the team of destiny, man. This is this is more than football. This is about life. But what do they need to be rewarded with? I don't get it. The team of destiny. It's like okay, the... incredible perseverance. Yeah, whatever. I'm rooting for the Raiders. I just don't think they're going to. Yeah, I wish those two teams weren't playing because I love Joe Burrow. I wish like the Bengals were playing the Pats and I could just root for them to beat the shit out of them. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the Raiders. Even if the Raiders like, were playing, Bills. like I don't know, the Bills, I would be happy with either team winning because I like Josh Allen. But the fact that we have to lose either Burrow or this, you know, Cinderella Raiders team. So for the record, I'm taking Raiders plus five and a half. Okay. All right. So fine. you got you got how many dogs? You got Eagles, 49ers. Okay. And Patriots. Oh, you took the Patriots. Yes, yeah, so you have three out of six. All right. Of we'll see what happens. All right. So that's a wrap for us. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks.